Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between. Holy shit. There it goes. I was waiting for the intro to end. <laughs> I'm excited for this week, and if you read the title, then you'll know why. Uh, I will be discussing an album that I feel like started a revolution of sorts, kind of like a, a goth light movement, if you will, kind of. I don't know. 2004's Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. I, along with a bunch of other people, of course, absolutely love this album. You know, when it first came out, it came out uh, June 8th of 2004, and I saw the video and heard the song for um, I'm Not Okay, which was very good, obviously, a great song. But it wasn't, I don't think, I don't think that song is indicative of the album as a whole, right? So I heard it and I was like, ah, it's good. But I'm just going to kind of, I kind of just like left it at that, right? I didn't really um, dive into it any more than just that song. But then Helena or Helena, I never really know how to pronounce it, but that song then came out as a single in like May, I think, of 05. And that blew me away. And then that is what prompted me to then probably download the album at that time uh, as I was... What was I doing in 2005? Um, I guess I would have been working at the casino, not making a whole lot of money. So uh, buying albums was not on my to-do list, but downloading them was. So I got it and it was great. And so I went to my first concert ever, which was 2005's uh, Warp Tour in Houston, specifically to see them. Actually, it was specifically, specifically to see Hawthorne Heights. But My Chemical Romance was like the second on that list, which is crazy to think about that now. But at the time, it was like, oh, yeah, that uh, My Chemical Romance band's going to be there, too. Great. And, and they were incredible. Like, Gerard was on stage, like, strutting around in the middle of summer in Texas. No shade, no nothing around, no wind, with, like, black pants and a bulletproof vest on, and was just crushing it. Like, incredible performers. And it's, you know, just incredible, right? And this was like a full year and a few months before they dropped the Black Parade, which then catapulted them even further into the stratosphere. But they were already like they were already performing and controlling a crowd and the stage like a band who had been around for decades. But at that point, they'd only been around for three years. So, I mean, just amazing live band. You know, I'll get more into that as we uh, as we move on. But for now, let's head on down to Variant Corner. So Discogs has eight variants listed. There's a test pressing uh, that had nine, I think, but I don't like including the test pressing. So let's say eight, right? So there was um, a translucent red. I guess it was uh, pressed for the first time on vinyl in 2008. That was limited to 2000. Something interesting about that release is that some of the extras it came with were a printed insert with Gerard's handwritten lyric sheet for Helena, a die-cut dueling gun stencil insert featuring the old MCR logo and some stickers. But uh, what I find the coolest is the song, It's Not a Fashion Statement, It's a Death Wish, is listed as, It's Not a Fashion Statement, It's a Fucking Death Wish on the uh, lyric sheet, which sounds uh, way cooler. But um, none are for sale at the current moment, but the price range listed is like anywhere from $89 to 394 So, Jesus Christ, that's expensive. But uh, 2015 then saw four new variants, uh, two on black, one for Europe, one for the U.S. Uh, I picked that one up, and I remember, like, I I pre-ordered it, and it seemingly took a long-ass time to come in. Uh, But looking back on when the pre-order was, like, 
went live and when I started posting about the fact that I had gotten the record was like a month. So, I mean, it really wasn't that long. <laughs> but anyway, so there was a Newberry Comics exclusive limited to 1,000 on red. And then the one that I did not get, and I don't know why, but I really wanted it, is Clear with Red Splatter, which is a Hot Topic exclusive limited to 2,000. Uh, there are two of those available, one for 175 the other for 300 so not going to get that. Uh, 2016 then saw another release, this time on Pink, uh, limited to $37.50, uh, supporting 10 bands for a cause, benefiting uh, Glenda's Club New York for breast cancer research. Now, my Modest Mouse, uh, This is a Long Drive album, is also Pink for that same reason. Uh, those are going for anywhere from 125 to 200 And finally, 2017 saw a picture disc release in Europe and the U.S., limited to 3000 worldwide. And there's one of those listed for like $33 because nobody cares about picture discs. But uh, like I said up top, I got the standard black, which now uh, that I think of it, actually, okay, so I think it was the 10-year anniversary was when, like, that was the whole deal or whatever. I mean, it sounds great, which is surprising because I had it up on my wall and essentially destroyed it <laughs> just because it looks cool to put records on the wall before I had a record player fucking dumb but whatever the case it still plays and it's actually fine like it's surprisingly plays pretty well but then so i was also doing some more research on on pressings and trying to find some things and i ran across urban outfitters is actually uh set to release a repress of this and the black parade this album on maroon that looks fucking sick and a clear with black smoke for the black parade in september and honestly i'm i'm on the fence because i'm like man i've been spending so much money on records uh, as of late but you know it's still at retail they have some available for pre-order and it would sound so much better than the ones I have now because it doesn't sound bad, but there's still some things where I'm like, oh, that's because I had it on the wall for so long, right? So to get a brand new copy would be probably the best thing to do, but we'll see. I mean, speaking of albums real quick, I'm going on a tangent here, but Under Oath, I don't know if anybody heard, but they are repressing their first three albums and I got the box set for that already. I had pre-ordered and everything. I just had a Jesus piece, their only self album come in the other day. It sounds incredible. Dashboard Confessional, their first album for the first time ever on vinyl. I've got the uh, Banquet Records exclusive pressing uh, pre-ordered, so I'm excited for that. Uh, Super Mario 64, the soundtrack for that is coming in. My Grail of Grails, I guess like the first quote-unquote grail that I ever laid eyes on that I wanted so bad. The uh, 2013 split with uh, Giraffe Giraffes and Goddard. I finally got my hands on that. Like I've been, I've been eyeing the Discogs list for years waiting for one of those to come for sale and it just has not and i finally 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 one did and i snatched that motherfucker up so it's oh i just got the uh the avengers uh six lp uh, original movie score for uh, infinity war and in and in game like for, for the first time ever like the complete scores on vinyl those look and sound amazing like it's been a, a fucking great year and i still have other records coming in that i'm waiting on just this year has been a wonderful year for vinyl collecting for me at least but uh, anyway sorry for that so my chemical romance at the time of the recording was made up of gerard way of course on vocals uh frank aero on guitar ray toro on guitar also mikey way on bass and matt Pelissier on drums not sure how to say that name doesn't matter because he left the band shortly after the recording of this album and was replaced by bob uh Bob Breyer, right? So the band was formed by frontman Gerard Way and drummer Matt Pelissier in Newark, New Jersey, soon after the September 11th attacks. Uh, witnessing the World Trade Center 
uh, Towers Fall influenced Wade's life to the extent that he decided to start a band. Uh, he wrote the song Skylines and Turnstiles to express his feelings about September 11th, and shortly thereafter, Ray Toro was recruited as the band's guitarist because at that time, Wade couldn't sing and play guitar at the same time. The name of the band was suggested by bass guitarist Mikey Way, who is uh, Gerard's younger brother, which I'm sure anybody listening probably knows that, who was working in a Barnes & Noble when he was struck by the title of a book by Irvin Welsh named Ecstasy, Three Tales of Chemical Romance. Uh, the first recording sessions were undertaken in their old drummer's attic. I don't feel like saying his name again because I don't think I'm saying it correctly. <laughs> Where the songs Our Lady of Sorrows and Cubicles were recorded. The band refers to those sessions as the attic demos. After hearing the demo and dropping out of college, Mikey Way decided to join the band. While with Eyeball Records, the, man, the band then met Frank Aero, the lead vocalist and guitarist for Pensy Prep. Following their split in 2002... Iero became a member of My Chemical Romance uh, just days prior to recording the band's debut album. Uh, they recorded that album, I Brought You My Bullets, You Brought Me Your Love, in just three months after three just three months after the formation of the band and released it in 2002 through Eyeball Records and one of my favorite factories of all time. Uh, the album was produced by Thursday frontman Jeff Rickley and uh, afterwards the band became friends with him and began playing shows in New Jersey. Iero played guitar on two of the tracks, one of which was Early Sunsets over Monroeville. Uh, during this time, the band was booked at the infamous uh, Big Daddy's venue where they began to receive more attention and everything. And So about three cheers. Uh, Gerard has described the album in an interview saying that Revenge is it's really the band. Bullets is the band trying to find itself. But by the time we hit Revenge, we had really become My Chemical Romance. Uh, he has also credited the album as a pseudo-conceptual horror piece. Uh, the concept for this album is that a man, thought to be one of the demolition lovers from the first album, is gunned down in a fight but makes a deal with the devil that if he brings him the souls of a thousand evil men, his life will be restored and he'll be reunited with his love. Otherwise, he gets dragged to hell and will never see her again. That was the idea behind the concept. The record ended up being much more about loss and real life than anything. So I would say it's a good split is what he had to say about that. So I mean, it's metal as fuck. I'm here for it, right? So on to track one, Helena. The song was written as a tribute to Gerard and Mikey Way's late grandmother, who was called Helen by her friends, although her actual name was Elena. And uh, Gerard calls this song, quote, an open letter to himself. He expresses the hatred he felt for himself after her death. It's about why I wasn't around for this woman who was so special to me, why I wasn't there for the last year of her life. He goes on to connect his problems with alcohol, with the loss of his grandmother. So his quote, uh, that was the worst moment of my life. Uh, I also think losing my grandmother and the drinking were probably connected. Uh, when I quit, I could see myself clearly and I wasn't sure how much I liked it. I wasn't confident about anything. Uh, I was just depressed. Also, when you get sober, everyone is very honest about everything you've done. That can be hard. So, um, about the video, so my buddies over at the uh, Reminiscent Podcast, Tom and Pat, shout out, did a wonderful job of discussing the video and a lot of the symbolism and just everything about it in a lot of really great detail. So, uh, turn this off, go listen to that, and then come back, right? But I'll just give a quick overview of the video. So, in the video, the band finds themselves at a funeral for a young woman. Uh, they perform a dance with some funeral, funeral goers, and eventually everyone closes their eyes for a prayer. Uh, at this time, the woman seems to come back to life and dance around the pews, but it represents her soul crossing over to the afterlife. Uh, next, the band carries the coffin into a hearse, and the trunk door closes with Gerard peeking in. So I think on, on their episode, they do mention how um, the, the spectacle of it all, the funeral is representative of the type of funeral that Gerard 
I thought that his grandmother deserved. And it's just a this big grand send-off kind of thing. You know, knowing more about the video now and realizing how much of all the stuff, like all the details that I missed, I guess. Like, it's actually super tough to, to watch or even listen to the song because it's just very um, emotional, right? It's funny because Charlotte will say stuff. Like, she, she she loves the song. I always put it on. And like, now that's like the bedtime song. It's like, I'm going to listen to the scary song, The Lady with Makeup. It's like, okay. And, yeah, and I put it on and she sings it like she really loves it. But um, she asked me about the, the oh, who's he singing to? And I said, oh, his, uh, his grandmother. And she goes, oh. Is she, uh, is she sleeping? You know, because the song is, you know, it's, you know, so long you get night. And, you know, she hears that, I guess, and she associates it with sleeping, right? And, and she said, oh, is she sleeping? And I'm, like, trying to hold back tears because I know that he's talking about her, you know, having passed away or whatever. And I was like, yep, she's sleeping. <sighs> oh, it was rough. It's rough. But, um, Again, to the the idea that that she's you know everybody puts their heads down and eyes are all closed and she's dancing around and everything and uh, again that being her soul crossing over for whatever reason I, I watched that and it's just it's so beautifully shot and ugh, it's 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 great. But moving on, don't want to bring the room down yet. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have like vivid memories of this song and again like watching it a lot in the summer of '05 and uh. You know, like I said earlier, like, I'm okay wasn't enough to like pull me in and make me a, a super fan, right? But like this did it for me for sure. And then seeing them live just like cemented my fandom for them. So yeah, so anyway, it's like in the bridge or whatever. I love when he sings, you know, uh, in the background kind of like ghostly and whatever. He's like, you know, can you hear me? Are you are you near me? Can we pretend to leave? And then we'll meet again when both our cars collide. And um, the drum break and all that too is like throughout it is fucking great and really fun to play. And, um, you know, then it starts to build back up, you know, the, what's, what's the worst that I could say, you know, chorus and everything, but what's added is the way he screams. Well, if you carry on this way, you know, things are better if I say like the, well, the, the, the part of like, if you carry on this way, like he really belts it out in that part. And it's just awesome. Anyway, super heavy, uh, amazing song. I could honestly go on for a long time. Uh, the, the, the reminiscent episode that I referenced earlier was like 50 minutes long on just the song in the video. So I could easily fill up an episode of this show with just that song. But I'm not going to do that because I have a whole album to get to. Track two, Give Him Hell Kid. It's fast paced. You know, it's told from the perspective of the, uh, the primary narrator's lover. Uh, she's unaware that her companion has made a deal with the devil and is missing his presence in her life. Uh, according to Mikey, Mikey and Gerard, they enjoy playing the song live more than any other song. And this song is fucking bananas live. I mean, it's it's crazy. So, okay, Helena is like one of the best opening tracks of all time, of any album, right? And then this song comes in that if Helena wasn't there, this would be one of the best opening songs of all time. <laughs> like, it's so fucking good. And um, I just love the, the 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 opening lines or whatever he's saying stuff in the background. And then like when it, when it really kind of when it, when he kicks in with the first verse, he's like, uh, "I took a train out of New Orleans," which I don't like the the pronunciation of New Orleans like that. But it works for this song because it, it rhymes with the next song. Anyway, I don't know. They can do no wrong. Fuck it. Let me not criticize them. Uh, there's a I took a train out of New Orleans and they shot me full of ephedrine. This is how we like to do it in the murder scene. Can we settle up the score if you were here? It goes to the chorus. I never have a fear. So go on, live your life. But I miss you more than I did yesterday. Yeah, anyway, it's 
fucking great. Uh, it's so high energy, and Gerard is in in the verses like he's doing this kind of low, almost like a growling type of tone or something like. And then the chorus is upbeat and everything, but uh, the whole song it just feels so raw and like it's it's amazing. I'm, I cannot my singing is not doing it any justice at all. But the the bridge to which MCR seems to have perfected the bridges to songs, right? Gerard says, uh, you know, some might say we are we are made from the sharpest things you say. We are young and we don't care. A what oh in the background it does that, right? Uh, your dreams and your hopeless hair. A what oh we never wanted it to be this way for all our lives. Do you care at all? And it's just this big grand. It's just ah so good, just perfect. So track three to the end is up next. Uh, this song is uh, apparently based on a William Faulkner short story by the name of A Rose for Emily. Did not know that until I did some research. In that story, the groom is uh, dead in a mansion. And uh, although he stays there, he cannot enjoy it because he is dead. Uh, an excerpt from the tale reads, For a long while we just stood there, looking down at the profound and fleshless grin. The body had apparently once lain in the attitude of an embrace, but now the long sleep that outlasts love that conquers even the grimace of love, I cuckolded him. Fuck. That's fucking awesome. Also super dark. But uh, now in terms of the Three Cheers storyline, it appears that the protagonist crashes a wedding celebration to rack up more murders toward this, towards his goal of killing a thousand evil uh, souls that I mentioned earlier. So I love that the, the pre-chorus in the song, the, uh, if you marry me, would you bury me? Would you carry me to the end? And it's like when the drums are, everything's going crazy. Uh, and in the chorus, you know, say, say goodbye to the vows you take and say goodbye to the life you make. Say goodbye to the heart you break and all the cyanide you drank. So now in the song, or in the, in the, in the, the story, I guess, the woman is dead. I guess she drank cyanide. Um, nope, sorry. No, that's, I think they're saying that in, in regards to the song. Uh, but in the short story, Emily kills the man that she loves with poison, but it's arsenic, not cyanide. Because as stated in the book, he liked other men. Uh, when the song is saying, uh, say goodbye to the heart you break, it may be referring to Emily. Now he had broken her heart by not loving her back. Uh, the lyrics are written as if they are speaking directly towards Homer, the man she loved, and telling him to say goodbye to everything in his life before Emily poisons him. Also, there's a line uh, in the song where he says, um, he's not around, he's always looking at men, right? That refers to it as well, because the main character, the lover, is suspected of being gay, right? And then after the death of her father, it says that she needs company, but uh, can't reach the love she needs due to her, her husband's sexuality. Uh, there's a lot going on in that story, apparently. <laughs> But um, I, I, I probably need to read that because it sounds pretty, uh, pretty interesting and just like, like I said, it's fucking dark. But uh, track four is up next. You know what they do to guys like us in prison? Featuring guest vocals by none other than Burt McCracken of The Used, which I had no idea until now. In the context of the album's concept, the protagonist has been caught on the killing spree he has been sent on to be reunited with his wife. He must spend some time in jail and pay the consequences for his lethal actions. There's another one too that's crazy live. But uh, the line that Bert sings, or I should say he screams, uh, do you have the keys to the hotel? Because I'm going to string this motherfucker on fire. And he screams fire and everything else. And uh, it says here that it, you know it highlights the split personality of the narrator. Uh, to notch up the number of people he's killed, he decides to burn down a hotel. The section could also be a hidden reference to suicide. Bert may be talking about burning himself down rather than a hotel. It wouldn't be a stretch, 
The song also discusses suicide in the line, you know, swing from a rope if you dare. Uh, these lines build up the idea that the speaker is questioning his sanity. Uh, this theme is expressed in the second verse as well. Gerard also mentioned in an interview that a, a bender with Bert in 2003 was the inspiration for the song, and more specifically this line. Uh, the bridge is pretty great too, when he sings, uh, Life is but a dream! For the dead and well, I won't go down by myself, but I'll go down with my friends. Right. Um, I'm going to be singing a lot on this uh, episode because, first of all, this album's great. But I feel like me just talking this, especially this album and these songs and just the way that he delivers all these lines, like me just talking them and reading them, like it just it does not do it justice. So deal with my singing. Up next, I'm Not Okay, I Promise. Uh, again, first song I've heard by him, and the lead single off the record. This song, it doesn't seem to tie in uh, to the greater story being told on the album. Uh, nevertheless, it's a great song. One that I can still sing from start to finish with no problem, like whether the song is playing or not. So the, like the running theme throughout the song is that I guess the, the girl doesn't understand other people's problems. Uh, she loved uh, this, was, this is from Song Genius, so again, take it with a uh, grain of salt. But um says that she loves all these songs with deep meanings, claims that they speak to her and that she can relate, but she really doesn't know what any of it means. The narrator finally tries to get through to her so so she can understand her problems are very different from his. His Hers are external, his are internal, and it doesn't mean his pain or whatever is any less real or whatever, I guess. Again, according to Sound Genius, I don't know, that sounds like some borderline like incel shit. I don't even, I don't know, but whatever the case, it's probably wrong. The line towards the end, though, is probably the most recognizable on the entire album. The, uh, I'm not okay. Well, I'm not okay. I'm not a fucking K. That's, um, it's so good. It's so good. Have I mentioned yet how much this album fucking rips from start to finish? Like, so things slow down a little bit with the next song. Uh, track six, The Ghost of You, with some of the most, um, extreme grief and powerful vocals. Uh, The Ghost of You explores the heartbreak one feels with the unexpected loss of a loved one. Uh, continuing on the album story, it tells listeners of the protagonist's longing for his missing love and frustration from worrying he'll never complete his task to bring her back. Directed by Mark Webb of 500 Days of Summer fame, crossover, the music video echoes the Omaha Beach invasion scene from the 1998 war film Saving Private Ryan. Uh, the video alternates between shots of the band performing at a dance and fighting as U.S. soldiers during the D-Day Normandy landings. The video takes an emotional turn when bassist Mikey Way is shot and killed by Axis Fire despite the medics, uh, played by Ray Toro, attempts to save him, adding emphasis to the aspects of loss in the song. Now, this is uh, apparently foreshadowed in the bar scene where Gerard appears to be reassuring him at the bar that he's going to be okay and he has no reason to be afraid and then of course he gets shot later so so mikey you know he dies with his eyes open in the video uh i don't know why they really point that out uh gerard is then restrained by his squad mates band members as he sees his brother die and is seen screaming although there's no sound obviously it's just him screaming with the songs playing now i was sure i read somewhere that mikey dying in the video helped gerard to act the scene out and have like real you know all the pain and hurt he's showing uh was brought about because that's his brother right it was really good acting regardless i mean he, he does a really good job of conveying that but I, I was i felt like that was um something i'd read at some point over the years but yeah the song is a uh it's a somber one right and the course you know 
I love the uh, at, at the end of the world or the last thing I see. You are never coming home, never coming home, <clears throat> and all the things that you never ever told me, and all the smiles that are ever going to haunt me. I'm never coming home, never coming home. Could I? Should I? And all the wounds that are ever going to scar me for all the ghosts that are never going to catch me. Like, it's a heavy ass song. I mean, it's just oof. But um, up next, track seven. The jet set life is going to kill you. The term jet set here, um, it's used to describe, obviously, it's a, used to describe a, a lifestyle defined by uh, frequent traveling and almost always heavy drug use and alcohol use. And uh, during the, 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 the Three Cheers era, you know, it was pretty well known that uh, Gerard Way was. Uh, super into alcohol and super into cocaine so that's a thing right so i guess you know the jet set life he was kind of talking about himself in that regard so at the end of of a tour in 2004 in japan and before the 2005 warp tour uh gerard got himself clean <clears throat> now according to him it was the hardest tour in the world so i love that tour it's amazing but that was during my first clean year uh, if you walk five feet, somebody is waving a bottle in your face. Uh, I had to stay on the bus the entire time, which bummed bum me out. The song itself is a first-person narr- narration by Gerard, speaking to the demons of his addiction, whom he personifies as a woman. Again, huge grain of salt. This is a song genius. Um, they could be right. I don't know. Also, the line, uh, check into the Hotel Bella Mirte, is, you know, kind of a, a romantic line, right? Like, it's romanticizing death. Uh, it's very dramatic. I guess a really dramatic way of like committing suicide or saying committing suicide, right? Bella Mirte is apparently Spanish for beautiful death. And when the narrator says she's checking in, it, it implies that this is being done willingly as nobody accidentally checks into a hotel, right? Also, the pre-chorus and chorus are pretty fucking great. The, the part is like, a, it, it gives the weak flight, it gives the blind sight until the cops come or by the last light. And for the last night I lie... Could I lie next to you? All right, then give up, get down. You know, it's just the hardest part of living. I catch myself singing the uh, the all right, give up part over and over because it's catchy as fuck. And like throughout the day, I'll just randomly spit that out for no reason. So you probably will too if you listen to it again. On to track eight, the interlude. It's just, you know, leading into the next song. He just says, uh, the only lyrics are saints protect her now. Come angels of the Lord. Come angels of unknown. Here the narrator is praying for his wife to be safe. He's summoning angels to protect her in his absence. Uh, In the story told uh, throughout the record, you know, the man being separated from his wife, I'm going to kill all the people, whatever. In the end, he must kill himself, and it's unclear whether the two will ever see each other again. Fun. Hey. Track nine, thank you for the venom. Uh, So I love the line in this song in the second verse where he says, uh, uh, preach all you want, but who's going to save me? I keep a gun in the book you gave me. Hallelujah, lock and load. And uh, I don't know why, like, I've always loved that shit. Like, again, the way he sings it is like, you know, I keep a gun in the book you gave me. Hallelujah, lock and load. It's so fucking cool, man. But overall, very good songs. Like, I guess it's a, it's a dancey track, right? It's a super fun to sing along to. It is, I mean, this album just does not let up. Like, it. I mean, I don't know. I know I talked for the first 25 minutes about like the first two or three songs, but you know, I'm trying to wrap it up here a little bit and uh, <laughs> it's it's hard because like every single song is so good, but moving right along, track 10, Hang 'em High. It's kind of a fun, like Western sounding song. They have a cool little Western, like a whistle type of thing. You, you can hear it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, then the song picks up. Verse two, you know, he says, uh, after all is said and done, climb out from the pine box while I'm asking you because she got nothing to say. 
this could be referring to the Demolition Lover's revival from the dead, uh, playing into the album's plot, or... Uh, oh, so you know, it says, I guess, if um, the man's brought back, brought back by the devil, which we know that, and if he upholds it in the deal, then his lover will be resurrected, uh, which I've said like 15 times already. But, and although he's speaking to her, she has nothing to say because she's currently dead. Uh, the solo in this song, too, is pretty damn great. The drums are just like this real driving beat the whole time. Like, it just does not, you know, doesn't give you a second to, like, catch your breath, right? So on to track 11, it's not a fashion statement. It's a death wish, or which... Sounds way cooler, which I mentioned earlier. Um, it's not a fashion statement. It's a fucking death wish. Ooh. I love this to the intro. You know, he says, uh, you hear him kind of talking. He says, for what you did to me and what I'll do to you, you get what everyone else gets. You get a lifetime. Let's go. And then, you know, just that whole opening uh, section, like, just makes me want to just, I don't know, jump kick something, right? But, okay, so the song, too, also plays an important role in the story in that our protagonist is nearing the end of his adventure and He's making a final attempt to reunite with his lover. And in 2013, uh, it's kind of funny, Gerard tweeted that this was his favorite song on the album, which um, I disagree respectfully, but it is fucking great. The sound of the song, too, is a bit brighter, especially in the chorus. And musically, it sounds as though, like... I'm not going to say this song sounds like it could be on the Black Parade, but the sound is a little different than the other songs. Some of the guitar tones some of just i don't know the feel of the song it sort of feels like it hints at where they were going with that album like you know what i mean like like the their shift in sound from this era to the black parade era i feel like was kind of foreshadowed with this song but um so yeah i don't know so anyway so the bridge which again like i said earlier if they're the bridge writing is just phenomenal where he says uh this hole you put me in wasn't deep enough and i'm climbing out right now you're running out of places to hide from me and uh it's just it's delivered perfectly of course but you know the hole is the grave uh, obviously but the protagonist is coming back from the dead so it means that the hole wasn't deep enough to stop him from climbing out and taking his revenge it's fucking metal track 12 cemetery drive is next so in verse two he says uh, back home off the run singing songs that make you slit your wrists it isn't that much fun staring down a loaded gun so i, I won't stop dying won't stop lying if you want i'll keep on crying did you get what you deserve is is this what you always want me for? So the uh, protagonist here is referring to methods of suicide, of course, self-harm, you know, not great, uh, suggesting that the person he is singing about killed themselves, as seen earlier in the song. Uh, this could be a direct reference to the negative reception of MCR songs and the stigma that has followed their career with reporters, uh, which I didn't verify this, but I've never heard anyone call them a suicide cult band, but they say here that some reporters have done that. I mean, maybe, I don't know, but I've never seen it. So Gerard uh, revealed in an interview that he was held at gunpoint at the age of 15, relating to the end of the the line there, right? Uh, it said, too, if you listen really closely, you can hear him uh, repeatedly saying, don't do it. Uh, I kind of sort of maybe heard like some, uh, I don't know, like weird ghostly whispers, but I couldn't really make it out. So I assume that's what he's saying. Uh, either way, that's fucking dark. But uh, also, I have heard of them getting described as this kind of... Uh, I don't know, like the band that glorifies death in a way, and and but it's not. It feels like it's really just more a way for Gerard to write out his feelings and and everything. It's not necessarily, you know, glorifying it, but you know, it's a way of talking about it and getting it out. Which you know, you gotta do that sometimes, right? So the closer, I never told you what I do for a living is last, and uh, the song wraps up the album uh, with the ending of the demol uh, the demolition lovers and the man completing his deal with the devil. In this song, he 
finally comes to terms with the fact that he will never be reunited with his lover. After being asked to kill 1,000 evil men, he discovers that the last one he must kill, spoiler alert, is himself. Oof. So in the chorus, you know, it says, uh, Another knife in my hands, a stain that never comes off the sheets. Clean me off, I'm so dirty, babe. The kind of dirty where the water never cleans off the clothes. I keep, I keep a book of the names and those. Only go so far till you bury them. Go so deep, so deep and down we go. Uh, it's very dramatic, but God damn it, that's what we're here for, right? The the drama, the spectacle of it all, like it's they they do it wonderful. Uh, also, they're very very good at crafting really big epic closing songs. Famous last words, for example, is one of my favorite songs by them, and uh, the song's no different. Like it's just it's it sounds so huge and emotional and just impactful. And uh, man, the goddamn ending with Gerard singing. And we'll love again, and we'll laugh again, we'll cry again, and we'll dance again. And it's better off this way, so much better off this way. Then he screams a line, I can't clean the blood off the sheets in my bed. And then on to, uh, and never again, and never again, they gave us two shots to the back of the head, and we're all dead now. Fuck. And with that, the album closes. And like that's how it ends, and just leaves you wanting more and more, and more, and it's an incredible album. I mean, I, I feel like I've gushed over it for this entire time, and rightfully so, but, I mean, it was somehow topped with the Black Parade, but I will say this, you know, obviously five out of five. But one thing that this particular episode has made me realize is, as much as I love the Black Parade, and it is my all-time favorite by them, and just one of my all-time favorite albums, period, this album is I don't know. It's so much better than I remembered, I guess. And not to say that I ever thought that it wasn't good, but the Black Parade was so good. It was like, oh, that's the one, right? And this one kind of got put on the back burner, but then going back to revisit it and really dive into it, I guess as I was listening to it, like every song I was singing and singing and singing, I'm like, God damn, I know this whole fucking album. And it, it just, it, it's so good. So, I mean, pick it up. I don't know if you have not heard it somehow in the last 16 years go listen to it if you have it or if it's just been a while since you since you listened to it put it on man you, you, you know you're gonna love it so with that man show is done that's an episode uh follow me on everything right social media all that um uh facebook instagram uh twitter and everything also wanted to thank you all for the really good response i got to last week's episode with uh again where i talked to brendan b brown from weedus and that was pretty awesome, and it's gotten a really good response, so thank you. I appreciate it. So, I guess with that, I'm Jeremy Levine, and this has been The Vinyl Countdown, and I hope to be in your ears next week. Take care, everybody. Thank you.